Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 93 of Death Readers, the podcast where we're reviewing books for the first time. In this episode of Death Readers, we're going to be reading through Ready Player One, chapters 7 through 14. If this is your first time listening, what we do here is we uh, take the books that we're reading, we read uh, chapter by chapter, page by page, and we take notes, we compare them to each other, and then we discuss them on microphone while recording. And then that leads to tangents and sidetracks and conversations, and sometimes, I don't know, maybe learning something along the way. If you'd like to read along, we suggest you do so, so go ahead and pick up your copy of Ready Player One, start at Chapter 7, read through Chapter 14. We're not going to cover Chapter 15 or beyond in this episode, but you can read those chapters, come back and take a listen and hear what we have to say about the book before you continue reading on and listening to the next episode, hopefully. And, want to say, if you do do any of that, including listen, uh, thanks. It's nice to know. <laughs> um, so... Do we have any housekeeping? Do we have anything we want to talk about before we continue? Mm, I don't think so. I think the one thing I thought was housekeeping was just a bit of research I did in chat in these chapters. So no, it'll just come up. So no. All right. Um. Well, I I think then that just brings us to chapter seven. Wade uses some convenient Latin to suss out the location of the Tomb of Horrors on the public school planet of Ludus. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, that's the that's that's the summary. That's what happens in this I chapter. I mean, he figures out that the first key is hidden on the very planet he's on, right in plain sight, and goes through a whole little D and D adventure. And I would like to defend the Latin. It's not like he's versed in Latin. Well, this is not the, this is not the, the chapter. teacher repeats oh, no, 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 it a no, number no, no, of no, times. No 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 no. This is not the chapter where he goes through the D and D adventure. That does not it's happen not. in this chapter. No. But he okay, he does figure it out as D and D themed. Yes, I just that said he's that. right. I said location of the tomb of horrors. Okay, which we established in the last episode was the, was D- okay. I'm sorry, it's been a punchy you're, show you're very, already. You're very confrontational. <laughs> oh, I don't uh, know I'm why. Just, I don't I'm know why. Trying, I couldn't imagine I'm why. Just, I'm just trying to. I've just been very sedate and uh-huh. res- responsive to the things that you said. You're hopped up on uh, gotcha juice. There's no and, proof of that until the end of the show. And and right now I've, I've just been very quiet and let you do your thing. You could have added the sound effect there, but you chose not to. It, it, there's more water in there than oh, okay. I, I wanted it, but um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a while. I've certainly not had a pint of birthday cake ice cream. Um, <laughs> Happy so, birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you. It's my birthday show. So, you yes, you are right. But the Latin, I still want to defend. Yeah, the please, teacher now please says defend it, the Latin. The teacher does say it a number of times, and he does point out that it's just kind of droning repetition, and that's when it clicks. It's not like he's some master of Latin. No, it's just conveniently placed Latin. Well, I mean, isn't anything conveniently placed when you have that aha moment? When you figure out something, you're like, oh, shit, aha. I mean, it's the difference is, in real life, it isn't. It's it could be convenient, but it's not placed. Because life isn't creatively a narrative. designed. You don't you don't think there's some fourth dimensional architect uh, plotting out your entire existence? There could be, but there's no proof that there is. Oh no, there's not. But That's, you made so I you made a statement that it doesn't exist, uh, and and now you just admitted that it could be. I'm not talking about proof. I'm just talking about what if. Doug is replaying the things he just said to see what would lead Rob <laughs> to say what he just said. 
stealing my bit since mine's at the end. Oh, you're going to sound like I'm copying you, you bastard. <laughs> you walked right into my web. <laughs> um, I don't remember what I said because my brain's okay. firing too fast. Um, it's an interesting show. Okay. He, he has his aha moment. Can't check the map of the planet because that's outlawed by the school computer has to wait for school to end and he looks it up sure enough finds there is a skull shaped hill and he gets himself there well he gets himself there pretty cleverly Um, yeah he he figures out that he since he doesn't have any money to travel he does know even all on the same planet yeah even though on the same planet the schools the inter-school rivalries uh, do allow for traveling between schools if there are, again, conveniently placed sports games being played at that exact moment in the right place, which there are. Well, to be, again, fair to the book, it, it, it's still an hour run once he gets there. It's not the clo- necessarily the closest school. To be fair to what I said, it can still be convenient and not be negative. To be fair, you're right. I know. To be fair. That's not Thank fair. You. It's the fairest. So that's the overview. Um, anyway, so he uses he uses that 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 convenient transporting ability to get to this other school and be able to get to this mound and 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 I think, and then he just sort of I think the, the chapter ends with him outside the 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 thing outside yes. the 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 dungeon entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any more notes in this except uh, I all I have here is a. Uh, Sort of an overview. Do you have anything other than an overview note? Or other, I enjoyed the writing in this chapter in that uh, whenever I've figured something out and felt especially clever for doing it, I got that feeling from reading Wade do that. I felt that was conveyed very well. I have one of those coming up that I, okay. I, I felt very, very seriously, and I will talk about it soon. Okay. But other than that, no. I mean, it's, it just seemed like a, a connective chapter, but I enjoyed it. Uh, my my note here is well this is where we really get to see our first taste of D and D lore. Mm. Uh, anyone who's ever played D and D knows how special it can be and how fun and silly it can get, and also how stressful and 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 uh, t- like you know suspenseful it can be. Uh, and then I my my other note to myself is if a significant portion of the following chapters are D and D centric, then I'll be happy. So well, hopefully you're happy. Um, but let's let's bring up D and D because I have always loved D and D. Except I hate playing D and D. I love the aesthetic and and I, I was really little. There, did you ever see that Dungeons and Dragons cartoons? I believe so. Where the kids from like our world went through a roller coaster and ended up in the dungeons, and each one got a special item. Oh, I love that fucking show. I was into it, and every time, and when I see artwork from it, I love it, and when uh, these chapters I loved, and it it felt like everything I wanted D and D to be, but I hate sitting down to play D and D. I can't really? I can't get out of I can't get out of myself enough to play a most role playing games. I I don't know if I've ever played D and D proper, GURPS, Rifts, White Wolf things, and I was always kind of like along for the ride, like yeah, I guess, right, guys, ha ha ha, and then I do this thing, and just I it, it's like cosplay. I can't stand Too the idea of myself at cosplay. <laughs> It's too sexy. Uh, I can't stand the idea of myself there because I can't. I'd be like, I'm in costume. This, uh, I'm, a, I'm a poser. Uh, and then the people who take it seriously, I can't handle their commitment. It's too much for me. I'm like, I, uh, I can't be a part of this. 
So I like it from afar. Oh, that's too bad. No, it's it's it it works for me. I don't think it doesn't sound like it's really working for you. It sounds like there's a thing you'd like to enjoy that you can't. Well, I I love I love the scene in E.T. where they're playing and it's all smoky for some reason. And they're all sitting around. and I'm like, oh, that looks like fun. The friends being friends. I'll just be over here watching it. Thanks for the safety of the fourth wall, Steven Spielberg. (laughs) Well, that's too bad. No, it's not. But you like D&D. I like D&D, all right. Um, I'm no, I don't know it very well, but yeah, I mean, like I said, anyone who's played it, I mean, I maybe not you, I guess, but like um, most normal people, would, <laughs> they play D&D, they, they, it's, it's very personal. I know that my experience with D&D was very personal, where it be, like, it's very easy for me to get um, into Dungeons and Dragons. It's very easy for me to, like what you're describing, the difficulty of getting into it. I have no problem getting into it. I mean, um, it sounds like that's exactly what my problem is. Right. Like video games, you have, again, that fourth wall, that safety net. Right. D&D, yeah, you're, you're actually, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's... to be that... Open. Vulnerable? Yeah, vulnerable, exactly. Yeah, it sounds like you got burned somewhere. Like, that's what it sounds like to me, is that somewhere in your life you got, like, some someone made you feel bad for caring about something, and that it, like... <laughs> Too much. Psychoanalyzed me in a long time. <laughs> Back in the Harry Potter days. Yeah, someone hurt you a long time ago for 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 being for being excited about something, and then uh, that made you gun shy of doing it again. I mean, um, I definitely remember having a friend, and we were super into My Secret Identity, the TV show with Jerry O'Connell where he got superpowers. Okay. And in one episode, he got hit with the gamma laser again, and suddenly he had super strength. And I rushed to the phone and called my friend about it, and he was just like. So, and I felt a lot of shame for that. Um, but that's only one instance. I'm sure there's probably others. You're probably right. Yeah, you just gotta, uh, you know, I mean, you don't have to do anything because you're an adult now and you don't need Thank to play you. Dungeons Cause and that's, Dragons. Thank you. That's right. As soon as you said that you got him, walls went up. Oh, I, I know. Like, oh, fuck you. Oh, I know. I know how. I know what walls those are. <laughs> um, but if should you strive to want to play Dungeons and Dragons again or another role-playing game, there could be a way to do it that would allow you to be vulnerable and not punished. It could happen. I think that that opportunity exists in the world. I'd need a fifth wall for safety. I could build you a small cube. I'd have to be a character playing a character. (laughs) You'd have to be Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder? Yes. I'm the yes. dude playing the dude disguised as another dude. That I would probably I would have to have a person suit. I would Rob, we could do that. Like I we could make a character who's that's part of their backstory is that they are like nobody else in the party knows. This is like you know sometimes when you're building a D&D character you can have like a secret. You can have a thing that no one else knows but you know and it helps drive your role playing. And mm. your secret could be that no one knows you're actually an entirely different guy. That sounds interesting. That sounds really interesting. I feel engaged there. Too bad you. Feels... Too bad you hate Dungeons and Dragons. And would never want to play. <laughs> That's not what I said. Ah, roll the tape. <laughs> I hate Dungeons and Dragons, and I never want to play it. Thank, thank you for putting that back in, Rob. It was right there, plain as day. Um, anyway, I think you were going to ask me something about Dungeons and Dragons. Was that the case, or just, 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 just to talk about? It, since I know you you run campaigns and like it 
Yeah, I'm not very good at it, but like, that's like, not. It's in it, what? Jesus. I don't know. I, I you I'm Catholic so, all of a sudden. Well, yeah, but like, I mean, not oh. like not like practicing, but like you know, the guilt runs deep. Um, oh, I'm aware. It's the kind of thing where it's like it's so complicated and so I, like I'm so impressed by what the game is that like mm-hmm. I I have to feel like self conscious about how little I understand about how it works. Most of what I do is just bad improv, like this show. If you could could even uh, you know drag improv the concept through the mud enough to say what we do is improv. You don't have to be Sir Neville Mariner to enjoy music. Don't even okay? know have to know who that is. He's he's the conductor of the uh, St. Martin's in the Field uh, orchestra that that and, and conducted all of the music for Amadeus. Always with the Amadeus with you. Did you just watch Amadeus? <laughs> no, I just I really like that soundtrack and. Yeah, so it's always with the Amadeus. Sometimes I, I appreciate Sir Neville Mariner. They even fought backwards. Anyway, uh, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons is great. I have a, I have a love for it. I, I, I would not profess to be an expert on it or in any capacity, but I, uh, I really like it. <laughs> so like this was, and that, and that was a thing that was significantly absent from the film. Well, then that, that's I was gonna uh, ask you about that. Um, how they did the race in the film. You, did you like this better? Did you like it different? I liked it different. I actually, I think that the the race sequence made a lot of sense to me in the movie because it's mm-hmm. very cinematic. It was a good way to start the movie because I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it's basically the way the movie starts, isn't it? It's pretty much, well, because you don't have this, I mean, basically he's a, he's a, he, he's the equivalent of a farm boy here. He's a poor kid who can't even get off planet. He's Luke Skywalker. He's, he's Wesley from Princess Bride, the classic. Yeah. It's that same thing. He, he can go nowhere and do nothing. And he has to rise to become the hero and the movie. They didn't have time to establish all that. So he's just another player. It's this race that anybody can participate in. Right. So when it comes to the race in the, in the, in that world, in the movie, I thought the race was a really clever, very visual, way to show how it was working like how the mm-hmm. how how the contest worked also racing video games are ubiquitous to me sure um so so like that kind of time trial racing thing felt like it fit, it, it, it did not feel forced or unrealistic in a world overpopulated with video game stuff mm-hmm. to see a racing game be a level um i think that it makes a lot more sense in the book for it to be a Dungeons and Dragons thing, but I guess they couldn't get the rights from Hasbro or something, or it wouldn't be that visually interesting as as comparison. I, I, I think that's. I, I mean, going through uh, making it look like a a dungeon crawl, like an old eighties movie, like Dragon Slayer or Legend or something, could have been visually interesting. But I think the setup, even if you truncate, because he does have a lot. You got the clue. Uh, what well, you've got the notches in the almanac, which spells out a clue, which you then have to figure out, which you then have to be on the plan. You have to establish that there's so much. You need a miniseries to do this, and it would be it would be slow. I also think that like things like the race probably made the movie. It's that it's that catch twenty two. Like you can make the movie more interesting for the people who've read the book because they don't know what's exactly going to happen, or you can infuriate sure. them because it deviates in any way. Right. I, I I like I see the value in in the the movie's version and what they chose to do and I like it. Um and I also like the book. I like this part of the book a lot. Um this confused me. It says in the book that if he dies, 
he'd lose the levels he'd managed to gain over the past few years. Go from level 3 back to level 0. But if he did die, his plan was to return every night and create a new first level. He'd create a new first level avatar. And then he later says, if I died, I could return to the tomb collecting XP and increasing in levels every night until I could get past it. Which he couldn't do if he died. Every time he died, he'd have to create a new... That just seemed like a confusing thing. No. He, no? What he... It made sense to me. Like, I should rephrase. Um, what he's talking about, about re-leveling, is he's going to go and he's going to complete the dungeon aspect of the game like defeat the monsters that are lurking around defeat the traps get the magic sword get the magic sword get the Uh, armor collect all those things that would respawn every day over and over and over again until he reached a higher level maybe a level where he could defeat the lich uh at the end if he should lose the challenge and then do that every and if he died again he come back and do the whole thing over again he was basically setting up i can i'm planning a way to repeat this while not being able to get off Ludus. Mm-hmm. So okay, that 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 actually helps. Okay, yeah, yep. Because because that seemed totally. I'm like I'm like, but you, that doesn't make sense unless you're gonna run away from the Acerarac. Okay, he could. The, sure. Yeah. And then the other thing was just I enjoyed the uh, the detail of all the trees surrounding the tomb being extra detailed. Yeah, I thought as, that was pretty cool. As being a um, a way to know he was on the right track. Yeah. That reminded me of like descriptions of like you know, the forest outside of Hogwarts or the, uh, the like. And when I was thinking about it, it was kind of visualizing the the planets from Avatar. Sure. Um, any more notes on that chapter? No. Then that brings us to chapter eight. So let's go with the overview. What what happens in this chapter? The summary. What happens in this chapter? Um, Wade successfully makes his way through this dungeon. Uh, and at the end of the dungeon, he, he has he has the tomb before book, so he knows what to expect and how to disarm everything and exactly where everything is. Because again, if you don't, if you've never played Dungeons and Dragons, they come with these little modules that mm-hmm. you that you buy and then you work people through. Like you start a, a a campaign using the book, and you and you walk your players through the the stuff. You familiarize yourself with the with the world in the beginning of the book, and then eventually you get down to like what's happening in in the actual st- story. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's like a a little mini series for your adventure group. But it has li- things like this, like uh, like I have one with me, listeners. I have the the, the uh, fifth edition Tyranny of Dragons book uh, on mm-hmm. hand. You know, just one of those guys. And if you uh, <laughs> you can see it in this page, there's a map. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, like this map is what Wade would have in his in his viewfinder in his screen, so he could see. Okay, I'm entering here. I, if I walk this way, I go straight into this way. And over here it says, what's that? Uh, in the antechamber it says, while an illusion still shows a tomb with gilded carvings and silver censers, uh, these are mere shadows. Looters have de- defaced and ruined the relief-carved walls, and the censers are long gone. Set between the carvings are a dozen alcoves recognizable as funerary niches, Uh Though these contain only splinters of bone, at the far end of the chamber, a stone door hangs ajar. Marks on the door and frame indicate it was recently forced. So he would read that and go, okay. What do you do? What do I do here? Or he would read something in this one that says, like, there's a statue trap in this, and this is what a statue trap does, and this is etc., etc. 
So he would read through that while walking through and go, okay, I know where this is. I know to avoid that room. I know how to handle this room. This is the path of least resistance towards my goal. So he mm-hmm. walks himself through there with that. And at the end of it, he discovers, as as you would if you read through the Tomb of Horrors module, that at the end is supposed to be the treasure, I think. I think the treasure is supposed to be there, but it's not. And or it's, it's cursed. I think that's what it is. It's like there's this treasure you're supposed to grab and, and like, like you know, in Raiders, once you grab the treasure, then everything goes to shit. Right. Um, so in this one, instead of the treasure being there, the the Lich King that would show up if you grab the treasure is sitting on a throne waiting for you. And if, mm-hmm. you, if you as you approach closer, he goes from sitting essentially stationary to looking at you and noticing you and paying attention to you. And he's got he's like, if you don't know what a Lich is, if you haven't read along, a Lich is essentially a, a undead sort of zombie-like wizard magical monster being uh, oftentimes a king so it's a perverted form of immortality yes and, and so in this this lich has big red rubies like carved gems as its eyeballs that uh, are a great image and if you screw up it attacks you and tries to kill you and etc so wade is very careful when he walks in he, he essentially what he does is he approaches the the lich the lich rises and, and, and engages with wade in 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 conversation he and he addresses him as parzival and mm-hmm. asks like you know sort of like a bridge keeper in the holy grail he asks him some questions like what is it you seek kind of stuff and and parzival explains he's searching for the egg the lich says what makes you worthy and parzival explains that let me prove my worth is what he says and so the lich says, oh, okay, how about, and then that's where we move on. He says, how about a joust? And and, and so Parzival says, okay, won't we need horses? He sort of laughs and says, no, not horses, birds. And that's where my first note comes in. Okay. I'm going to walk you through what happened in my head okay. when I read these words. Uh, my first thought was, hmm, a flying joust. That could be cinematic. That could be thrilling. Just imagining like Parzival on like a griffin with a big lance, like flying through the skies over over Ludus, trying to knock the the lich off of his, uh, you know, chimera or whatever, and or, or manticore, and mm-hmm. and they they fall off. I mean, those aren't technically birds, but they are flying beasts that are pretty baller. And then whoever wins the joust wins. And then I, <laughs> I swear to God, this all happened in seconds because I didn't read further than the word birds. For all this happens in my brain before we pass the word birds. And I was like, yeah, it could look like how to train your dragon or something cool like that. And then, and then it hit me. It hit me real hard. <laughs> and my brain said, oh, God. <laughs> he doesn't mean a joust. <laughs> He means the joust with a capital J. The arcade game where dudes uh, seated atop ostriches or emus or some other dinosaur bird joust each other. And then I thought, you know, like, like they always remind me of the guy on the cover of that movie Wizard mm-hmm. or Wizards, which what, is not wizards a. Or the, oh yeah, yeah, Wizards, wizards. Yeah, the animated one. Yes. Yeah, it's which well, not on a he's not on an ostrich, but it is sort of a bipedal like. I totally see piece. the cover. Yes. Right. Um, he's slouched and looking at the camera yeah, or the yeah. artist it's or whatever red. you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and then and then I had this other and then the, and then as soon as before I even read further again I had this memory of playing Joust and I was like which is weird because it's a really old game like and yeah it, it, and like my memory is that like there used to be a 
there was a chalet at a, at a skiing hill in town that in 1996 or whatever had uh was super like like podunk and and simple and we'd, we'd go sledding there and then we'd come into the chalet which I, I say chalet and i mean like bunker you'd come into this little area that had a couple of seats and rental like snow boot rentals or ski boot rentals and skis and all that probably and, smelled like mildew and feet yep and they had like a coffee pot that also had swiss miss packets and shit next to it nice. and, th- and they had and they had one arcade game in there that was super old looking and ratty and awful. And it was Joust. <laughs> and I remember playing Joust and just being like, I don't fucking understand how this works. <laughs> no, because there's no, I don't know how people learned how to play arcade games when they first came out. Cause they seem so archaic and hard to do anything with. They seem so like, uh, like imagine if you had to, if like, if you had to use, a prosthetic arm or something mm-hmm. if you, it feels like that, as difficult as that would be like you it doesn't feel like you can be delicate it doesn't feel like you can be deliberate you just kind of brute force everything right and that and you always lose <laughs> so like it always felt to me like the worst kind of game um but i what stuck with me was those visuals like the art on the side of the box and the in the the premise of dudes jousting on big dinosaur birds was really cool and really stuck with me. So I had all of this happen before I read further and got confirmation that yes, they did indeed mean to play the game joust. Was it disappointing since you were hoping for something cinematic? Not at all. No, this is great because I was like, Oh cool. Like this makes like, honestly it felt even, it felt sort of novel and, and fun, like playing with expectations. Like, Ernest Klein does a pretty good job setting you up to expect a huge fight, mm-hmm. a huge sword and sorcery fight. Every all the trappings are there and they're ready, and then he jumps you right to an arcade fight, right to an arcade match. And I was just like, "That's cool!" Like, again, not the most cinematically vi- visual fun, but like the aesthetic is there. The aesthetic is fun. The aesthetic plays, and and I really liked it. What did you have to say about this chapter? Um, <laughs> I have I have a sort of a summary note encapsulating everything that's happened so far. Latin, pop culture, amazing at joust, but I'm not yet ready to label Wade as a Mary Sue. That's for later. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit of a little bit convenient. Things things are a little convenient for Wadey. There's a, there's, there's, well, I mean, yeah, uh, but there's a point where even my credulity, which is expansive, is, is, is strained, yes. But that's, that's really all I've got for this chapter. I really enjoyed it too. I like, I, cause I don't have the D&D experience a lot of people have, but it does also feel very much like Zelda, which I was big into. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that everybody's, I mean, not maybe not everybody, but anyone who likes sword and sorcery content got in some way. There was a gateway drug that got them into the thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly what it is for you, um, if you have that at all, because I know we've talked about it before. It sounds like you're kind of like 50-50 on it. It, it, can't, it, de- it, it really depends on the characters. I'm never a huge fan of, uh, you know, the hulking barbarian. Right kind of thing um i've always <laughs> like, like i brought it up before dragon slayer was big for me so instead of conan 
uh, Weenie Peter McNichol having his sword and sorcery adventure. I was there for it. Beastmaster. You, you know, Peter, Beast, well, Beastmaster is more the hulking guy, but... Uh, but he's so McNichol? much thinner. No. Uh, you probably know him as Janos from Ghostbusters 2. He's the guy who carried a sword and sorcery movie, and so that was very formative for me. Really? <laughs> yeah. Peter McNichol is the guy who's not Rick Moranis. He's the not... Right, he's... Why am I dripping with goo? Right, yeah, that guy. Right. He, yeah, he was also... He's from the Adam co-worker from Adam Stanley Values. He's the he's the yes, second the camp counselor. Yeah, he's yes. the second camp counselor in Adam Stanley yes. too. Yes. Yes. So he played I the know young him. wizards. He's played the young wizard's apprentice in Dragon Slayer. Oh, you mean a that kind of That's a sorcerer's apprentice. Oh my bad. I'm such a fucking He idiot. actually might have he actually might have been a sorcerer's apprentice, actually. So you're probably right. No, I'm terribly There's a lot of brooms. I remember that. Wait, so he was a witch's apprentice? I don't... I, I just... I, look, he was an apprentice. There was a lot of rainbow effects. Early 80s. Double rainbow? Probably. All the way? What are we doing here? Across the sky? No. No? Lens well, flare rainbow. Oh. Not a double rainbow. No. Oh, my God. I know what I'm doing. Okay. Great. <laughs> That's one of us. Um. So, uh, point is... Yes, that's the kind of sword and sorcery I like. Right, right. Um, it's hard for me to decide what, what sword and sorcery I decide, discovered for the first time. Because, like, Lord of the Rings, the movies were, were like, they, they really kicked it off for me in a, in a mm. very specific way. Sure. But, like, I, I'm trying to think of, like, something that's, like, there's always fantasy. Like, like in reality, like, we've, I'm sure we've, you and I may have not talked about this, but it's, it should be well known that Star Wars is not a science fiction film. Absolutely. It's a fantasy film. It's an adventure. Space fantasy, it's, if you want to be fancy. Yes, right. It uses the trappings of science fiction to tell a fantasy story. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that probably was my earliest exposure to that kind of thing that really like hit me hard and became definitive or, or you know defining. I'd but, say same. But in, in terms of actual sword and sorcery stuff, you know, I'm trying to think and it's it's Nothing's coming to mind more than Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. uh, which I would have been. When did that first Lord of the Rings movie come out? 2000? 2000, 2001. Yeah, so I was like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably well past time to be getting into Sword and Sorcery, but I didn't have any friends ever. So, like, there was no time. There was no one I could have played Dungeons and Dragons with and found that, like, sure. with. Oh, you know what? That's not true. You know what? I just remembered when I was in, like, fifth grade or maybe younger. I had a friend in school who went to like a thrift store and found some choose your own adventure books and like lent sure. those to me. And I'm pretty sure that was like the first time I read anything like that. Man, they're, they, they had a very, I mean, I guess cause just choose your own adventure was sort of a solitaire version of a role playing game. Yes, it, exactly that. So if you were lonely and friendless, yeah. it was exactly like playing. I, I mean, I never had sword and sorcery, but I definitely had cave of time and vampire express. And I loved those. I remember, I remember bringing the book back to the kid, having devoured it, and said to him like, "Where did you get these?" <laughs> and like being too dumb or or whatever to realize, I could just look at the cover, write the title of the book down, and then go to a bookstore and ask about it. Like, was this a special magic library that was never in the same place twice? 
Dude, I remember him telling me, oh, yeah, I just went to this thrift store here. And then me going to the thrift store like an idiot and begging my mom to take me there and being like, oh, please go. This There's treasure here. I know it. <laughs> and then going and like trying to find it and just being lost and not knowing what to do. Just, like, just being a dummy and not knowing how to find things. You that know. thrift store hasn't been here for nigh on 14 years. Yeah, it it was it was very it was very close to some sort of horrible page master kind of story. Sure. Page master, that's another one though. It's kind of sword and sorcery. Anyway, what are we talking about? So, um yeah, it's a fun chapter. Yeah. Anything else to say about that chapter? None. Then let's move on to chapter 9. Nope. Enter Artemis. What? Chapter 8 enters Artemis. No, chapter 9. Well, I guess she it's she at the very end, sure, fine. Yeah, the end of the chapter. But we don't know a, her name is Artemis yet. At the end of the chapter I was talking about the word Artemis. At the end of chapter eight, there's a Wade hears someone coming after he's already beaten he, so I guess we should clarify. Wade beats the the Lich at Joust and he uses a clever trick of asking to switch sides. Mm. Um it turns out the the Avatar is isn't programmed to be as good from the left. He ends up uh, succeeding in getting the copper key and being the first person in the world to ever get the copper key. And then he... Has to exit the dungeon. What? Has to exit the dungeon? Yes. Yes, he has to exit the dungeon, not has sex with the dungeon, which is what I heard. No. That's a a different kind of Dungeons & Dragons book. Oh, my gosh. That's That's the Chuck Tingle Dungeons & Dragons. Okay. We're never not talking about him. <laughs> so he exit. He starts to exit, but in the very next room, there's somebody there. And that brings us to chapter nine. Uh, overview of this chapter. Uh, it turns out it's Artemis, the the same girl from the last episode, where he's she has a blog and 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 she's self deprecating. She's so cute, and we talked about her a lot last episode. And he has a huge crush on her. She's yeah. a bit of a famous blogger, a bit of a a bit of an influencer before that word existed. Yep. They chat and she challenges him and they and they're and, and but she's also like curious and he plays coy about what that he didn't win and they flirt a lot and it's just a lot of that. It is a lot of that. Uh, before we get to any of that, I've got a I've got a note. A two I actually a two I came at this twice because you know I'm reading it and listening to the audiobook. My first note when I read it, was, oh, I cringe at the Highlander reference because it's something I would have done. And uh, what exactly was that reference? <laughs> that was, she asked him for his name, and he told her that he was Juan Sanchez Villalobo Ramirez. And she finishes it with the chief metallurgist to King Henry V of Spain, or King Charles V. See, I've lost it now. I'm, I'm not elite Gunter. Um, <laughs> oh, sad Charlie Brown music. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then the second time I listened to it, when she when she says that, narrator Will Wheaton reads she she caught my obscure Highlander quote a reference. And I'm like, obscure my ass. Yeah, I thought I thought you'd have <laughs> You a might as well have that. said, I'm the Highlander. Fuck you. Obscure. I, don't, I am, don't toot your own horn, Wade. I am the Kurgan. See, you know Highlander too. What are these guys coming down here for a blowjob or something? Isn't that what he says? No. What's he say? I'll tell you what I think. I think you were there for a blowjob. <laughs> You're sick. <laughs> oh, 
God, we should watch that movie sometime. It's a good movie. That's great. Oh my God, that's so good. I know we've talked about it before, and I'm not going to try to do it again, but my favorite part of those movies... I'm sorry if you're listening to the, these episodes, oh, anyone, and you hear me say this before, but... um. I love I love the part where Sean Connery kicks Christopher Lambert into the into the water and he's down there drowning and then he discovers he's not drowning he can't drown and then he just laughs underwater it's my favorite thing it's such a ludicrous thing to imagine someone would do and then to force an actor to do it makes me so happy because it's just such an absurd image it's just this guy underwater going ah 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 it's the best fucking part of the whole movie. The movie is great, but that is the best part of the movie. It's a good part. Yeah. Hey, how is that not your first like sword and sorcery thing? Oh, because I didn't see that till I was much older. Okay, fair enough. That was one of those people are like, you haven't seen Highlander? And I'm like, no, what's that? And it changed. And then I watch it and it opens up with wrestling, which I was never big into. And I'm like, I don't know, man. And then, but it also has that turn where you, when you realize what's going on, you're like, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. Or like yeah, and they they go back in time and he builds his castle and then the the lady gets murdered. His wife Heather. gets Heather, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, um She she doesn't get murdered. She dies of old age. Who yeah, well, wants to live forever? I mean, time murders her. Do you ever think about her. it that way? Time has a body <laughs> count, dude. Time is the most prolific serial killer. You know what it's what all of its targets have in common? Mm. They're all, they all were alive once. <laughs> um, I have another note on page 105. All right. Uh, so it seems like Artemis has not lost her player levels dying at the hands of Acerarak slash Anorak. Or did she dump out and then I feel like, oh, no, she she survived because she beat the Lich every time. Yeah, she explains yeah, that she, she beats the Lich because she's such a high level. Yeah, she's like 50th level or something. Yeah. So she just, you know planned ahead got healing potions had powerful gear and kicked his ass like you would in a game yeah but she didn't get the key because she didn't beat him at joust right right so that answered my own question but i did write it down had to uh had to yeah. play the notes yeah. where they lie yep um no i got a note on the 80s poet howard jones all right he uh had a song like to get to know you like to get to know you well Okay, and and as, as the '80s poet Howard Jones would say, and I had to look that up, and this is the note. So I did, I had never heard of Howard Jones. I looked up the video, and he totally had, it was rocking this Boy George look, where he had like a the big checked black and white shirt, the uh, the 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 sports jacket that was cut like a frock coat in the back, super you know long and drapey. He had that hat on that was barely pinned on in the back, with his hair floofing out like a cockatiel. So '80s. Um, and basically the song was like to get to know you well over and over and over and over. Um, but when I looked that up on YouTube to watch the video, the first comment was what music we had back then. This song is banging. Love it. The eighties. What a time. Just look at what kids have to listen to today. Pure crap. That was from hottest babe. 1000. Oh, there were, there were 999 more hot babes, but what do they all have to say? I didn't see. Well, that sounds like a small sample was... size. <laughs> <laughs> but I was amused by that and had to share that. Because I didn't know if it was trolling or not. It's I, definitely... If it, was, if it was in earnest. I mean, that's the problem with the internet. Is it, it's, it, the internet killed satire. The internet killed sarcasm. 
there's no one is serious or facetious anymore. They're, we're all just assholes. Yeah. And it sucks. I hate it. Burn your computers. But the, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that like, I think everybody says that all the time. Like they said that about rock and roll. They say that sure. about rap. They said that about disco. They say it about like, uh, electronic music. They say it about everything. Every old person gets bummed that they're dying and decides that music's the reason young people suck and not it's not just jealousy because you know time's hunting you down. She's uh, traveling minstrels. It's not real music like I had. Yeah. My last note. All right. Is about Jordan from Real Genius. Okay. When he describes Artemis as being like Jordan from Real Genius. Now, did we did you and I watch Real Genius together? No. Are you sure? Pretty sure. Real Genius is the one with Val Kilmer, right? Yeah. And the lasers? Yeah. And William Atherton from Ghostbusters and pretty Die Hard. Pretty sure we watched that together. Really? Yeah. Why pretty, would we have watched that? Because I would say to you, I didn't, I've never seen that. And you'd go, oh, you should see Real Genius. Hmm. And, and I think there's also references to uh, his, Val Kilmer's character in other things that Maybe. I think we were thinking about. Like... I remembered having a passing crush on Jordan from Real Genius. That's why I made took this note. But she is pretty much a proto, uh, a proto manic pixie dream girl. Yep, just like so I said, it's Artemis was. Kind of basic that that they make that comparison. No offense, Ernest Klein, but I mean, come on. Yeah, just ones and zeros, man. Basic. Like, <laughs> do you have any notes on this chapter? No, I mostly have overviews on these chapters, but uh, okay. All right, you ready for the next chapter? Let's do it. Which may be... Is chapter 10. <laughs> All right, uh, overview. Okay. Okay, so in the last chapter before it ends, uh, Wade gets Artemis's, Artemis's number. They're super flirty, and she explains to him how all her tricks about how she's been doing this contest. And she's been she's been coming there for five weeks, um, trying every day to, to, to get the, the copper key. And she... Uh, Hasn't been successful. And then he tells her, he gives her a little tip, which might be really bad news for him, which is he tells her to try playing from the from the right side and force the lich to the left, because that he seems the lich seems to have a harder time winning from the left. And so sure enough, he does that and uh eventually maybe not in this next chapter, but eventually I think it's the next chapter, Artemis gets her name on the on the leaderboard right behind Parzival. Mm-hmm. So uh, in this in this chapter, Wade uh, deciphers a clue on the on the base of the copper key that sends him to the Middleton, Ohio planet in the Oasis. It's which a is replica a, of Halliday's hometown. It's a planet that is like 455 or some are a significant number uh, replications across a quarter of a moon sized planetoid. Uh, of our moon size planetoid that have that many like recurring instances of Halliday's hometown checkered across it. So he picks a, ra- uh, Wade picks a random one of those to go to and investigates Halliday's bedroom, which the, the key has led him to. And, and this, this planet is just, is this, this town, this town on this planet is specifically designed to look like the town looked like in the, the late seventies, early eighties when Halliday was a kid so it has like accurate gas prices, accurate home design, accurate dress of everyone, accurate everything, and 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 so in like Wade decides or, or deduces that the next clue is going to be inside Halliday's childhood bedroom. So he makes his way in there, 
And it's decorated, you know, with Dungeons and Dragons posters, with posters for movies he loved, with all these other different things. But the clue, I forget what the clue was. Uh, play. Oh, the uh, what you seek is in the trash in the deepest dungeons of Dagorath. Right. And so he, uh, Wade knows that that's referring to a very specific uh, arcade machine or home computer. The TRS TS80 or TRS80? Yeah, TS. TRS-80, which like, looks like the abbreviation trash. Right. TRS. And there's a, and there's a game, Dungeons of Dra- Daggerath. Right. And so he, he deduces that he has to play the game and get to the deepest dungeons, and that's how he'll figure out how to get to the next gate, uh, which the key will open. So he makes his way to Halliday's, one of the replicas of Halliday's room. He figures out the game thing. He plays it. And sure enough, at the bottom of the dungeon is a gate that opens and it actually opens through the what was the war games poster on the wall in Halliday's room and what opens is like this this shining portal that looks like a bunch of galaxies and stars are behind it and uh, Wade jumps right into it and and transports himself somewhere else um, we'll find my, out later yeah my my I actually have a page note okay um, on page 102. This is a point, maybe it's a bit late to have this thought, but I had it, so here we go. Makes me wonder if we should if we should discuss, to some extent, the narcissism of James Halliday. Okay. The, the egg hunt in this book and in the movie is presented like a fun Wonka-esque contest where th- that permits, and that's a very important word here, that sort of permits gunters uh, and readers alike to immerse themselves in Halliday's uh, interests in his mm-hmm. wonder years, as you were, as it were, and in doing so into Ernest Klein's interests. And it makes me think, is that really like a, is that something a hero does? Is that something a, a, a heroic, good, noble person does? And it made me think, you know, Halliday is probably the most analogous to someone like Jeff Bezos and, much like Jeff Bezos, he, according to the book, he exploits his workers, he abused his power and his influence in the world, uh, and he hoarded wealth that could have meaning, meaningfully impacted the, the lives of many, many, many people and changed the world we lived in. We live mm-hmm. in. But neither, I would argue, neither Jeff Bezos or Halliday do as much as they could do sure. with, with the means they have available to them. Instead, Halliday, like Willy Wonka, uh, you know, develops this golden ticket trip mm-hmm. or, or this 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 uh, contest, and 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 specifically like like Wonka, Halliday's egg hunt is only going to reward someone who satisfactorily appeals to Halliday's ego by doing things that he wants them to do specifically pertaining to things he likes. Halliday's basically the guy who's like, I'm taking my ball and going home, but it's the only ball in existence, so you have to come home and play how I want you to play. Hold on. And he... he, uh, And I was thinking about it even further. It was like, the even the first challenge sets Halliday up as this powerful lich, this undead character... This character is very literal in this sense. He's he's literally a he's used technology to become undead, uh, and he dresses himself up like a lich. It's very nice. It's clever. It's fine, but he's also a lich who's the best at this video game, <laughs> and like 
and he makes people play him in this video game even when he's dead. Like, that's a bratty thing to do. And and the thing you have to do in order to beat him is you have to acknowledge how great he is at it because you're going to lose. So he's going to get all that, like, residual feeling or whatever, like, of, 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 of impressing people. And then... Then you have to commit time to learning how to play this game he likes enough to beat him. So then, like, it just feels like the second contest then takes place in Halliday's bedroom in his home. It's, again, like, even further, like, dragging you into this guy is the most... He- he's so self-centered. He's so narcissistic. All of this stuff revolves around him. Hmm. And even down to his personal childhood computer... Where you have to overcome a deeply personal puzzle or game to advance. It, it's it's honestly kind of sick. It's like a politician asking for a loyalty pledge from every subordinate in their government agency before taking office. It's, it's kind of crazy. I cede. Okay. I will say there's a lot of merit to your observation. I feel like the quarter I'm going to give Ernest Klein and to some extent Halliday is maybe it wasn't as adroitly handled as he would have liked. But what I've always felt he's trying to convey is someone who is incredibly insular, probably on the spectrum somewhat severely. That's certainly how they try to play him in the movie and is whatever the cause incredibly lonely and doesn't know how to connect with people. And so this is him trying to create from the negative space of his life the ideal friend that he would have wanted to have and saying, if you can do all this, then you can have what I would have given that person, but I never really had that. Um, As we find out, you know, he had a falling out with Og, so that clearly wasn't it. So this is like the, the person I'm trying to reach out and connect with has not yet existed for me, and so if you can do this, you would have been that person. And I'm not saying I, I feel like that's what Ernest Klein is wanting to convey. Even though, yeah, it does come off as way more Bezos than Wonka at times. It yeah. Um I so I, I, I just kind of do that heavy lifting for him because I feel like that's what he's trying to say. That's fine. I hadn't really I, I, it's hard for me to consider it like that because he smacks so much of, of Bezos to me. Sure. Um, and but you're right. There's lots of talk about him. Like he only spoke to uh, the girl as his character, kind mm-hmm. of things. Like he, right. he um, there's those. Little... He needed a fifth wall person suit. Yeah, he did. <laughs> um, maybe that's why I can see that in this because I'm bringing it myself. <laughs> maybe it is, but that's fine. That's that's how we all learn from each other. Sure. Um, and so so I'll I'll. I'll you know, I'm not going to rescind my observations. Sure, no, but I, certainly. But I will say that I can see, I, I, I can appreciate that perspective also. On the other hand, though, like with Ernest Klein, there does seem to be quite a lot of, and, and if you look at Ernest Klein's other work, it's all very much this sort of like self-important entitled nerdery. Mm-hmm. And that's a like like and, and i'm saying that as someone who liked fanboys sure i'm saying that as someone who likes ready player one um it's still those things i think he was 
molded badly by the the press he got from this book. Oh, you think so? Not not he was molded badly, but like his his later work was certainly shaped by that. Well, I've not read anything later than I've not observed any of his work later later than this or this movie. Mm-hmm. Fanboys came out in two thousand eight or two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Until until no until right now I forgot. I'm like I'm like, I thought you were just making a reference. I forgot that he was responsible for Fanboys. Yeah, he wrote that movie. Right, 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 right. Um, and it's, I think it's a good movie. I enjoy that movie. It has problems, mm-hmm. but in the same way where it's like it's all about these people whose nerdery is justifiably the center of their lives. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, absolutely. And then, and then it's about explaining to other people how much they need to accept how correct these nerds are for focusing their lives around this nerdery. It it, it it it's it's a microcosm of that existence, but comes off as justifying it as more important than anyone else would give it credence for. Yes. It, it, it comes off like him saying like, it's like, he's like defiantly self-righteous mm-hmm. ab- about it, like, you know, this, this isn't just a way of life. It's far more important than you ever knew. Right. You right. person who doesn't understand it. The, the girls who wouldn't kiss me. This is right. Yes. Don't you finally understand? They let me make movies about this shit. Why wouldn't you kiss me? <laughs> That's that's how it. I mean, I know I'm maybe I'm projecting, but I I feel. But like, also maybe you're being empathic. Yeah, I think that's what I'm detecting yeah. with my like, uh, um, Imzadi feels. <laughs> I was gonna say you're Will Graham in him, but sure. <laughs> uh, either way. Uh, um, I mean, I guess it wasn't more Imzadi; it was more Betazoid. I was really trying to be. More, I, like, yeah, Imzadi. I Imzadi took me right there. Yeah, I know to, it took uh, you there, but, but to uh, to 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 Troy and Riker and the turbo lift having a conversation behind Picard's back without talking. Right. Um. But yeah, it, it feels very much like that. So I don't know. Maybe it's it's there's a little bit of like uh you know sadness there in 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 this just in this observation so anyway mm-hmm. uh i have a note on page 103 okay am i jumping ahead of you do you have any of these I, uh, my my notes are well because our, our books don't line up but my notes aren't really plot relevant so it's fine okay so i have a note here for myself to read a paragraph okay all right this is for me ready player one page 103 looking around I wondered why Halliday, who always claimed to have had a miserable childhood, had later become so nostalgic for it. I knew that if, if and when I finally escaped this from the stacks, I'd never look back, and I definitely wouldn't create a detailed simulation of the place. Well, we know that's bullshit. <laughs> like, he already has created a detailed simulation of the place. Very it was true. was side-scrolling, like... Platformer. Life in the Stacks game, yeah. Yeah, we, we talked about it last episode. He, he he talked about it in the book already. That's exactly what he's done. <laughs> um, now, I don't know if that's supposed to be like a... On purpose. A, I don't know if we're supposed to pick up on that. Sure. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to be like... See, Charlie's just like Wonka kind of thing. Um, where we're supposed to read between the lines and go, Oh, look at all these other similarities as if there aren't yeah. plenty... Um, but 
I don't know. I guess I, it's confusing because I don't know if I'm supposed to believe he's unreliable or if he is, like, the heir apparent. Right. Um, so that's that's a little a little. We'll have to start a new section. Wade, watch. <laughs> uh, other than that, I think I have some more notes, but I figure you know if you have, I, I just have a couple more notes that are just general. But if you'd like to take one, you can. My on my page one twenty. Well, I'm not sure where it is for you. There's a footloose shout out. Uh, I've not only been to that town because he talked oh. about the town. He was referencing the town. Was well, because my aunt lives there because. She loved the Footloose. point of my note, my aunt is in Footloose. Oh. She's an extra in, in one of the bar scenes. I can point her out. She's on screen many times, uh, which the point of all this is that makes me two degrees from Kevin Bacon, and you by proxy are three degrees. So now you can win that game. That's interesting. Yep. Um, also, you may not mm. have realized this, but if Halliday recreated Footloose in the Oasis, that means he would have had to recreate your aunt. That's very true. As she was in that time, in that film, in the Oasis. Mm-hmm. Congrats. Thank you. Now now you're two degrees from Wade Watts. <sighs> it's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great being me. Uh, my only other note here was uh, I had an Atari 2600. And of Halliday's nine games listed, I believe we had at least three. Combat, Empire Strikes Back, and Space Invaders. I have I also, a... Go ahead. I also had a, a Superman game that I remember liking a lot because I was big into the Superman movies. Um, I think I've played E.T., but uh, we didn't own it. What you well, um, it's, it's my note's kind of about the, uh, the Atari 2600. Uh, Wade mentions that the copy of Adventure Anorak plays in the, his living will... Uh, isn't found in his bedroom in any of the houses in Middleton mm-hmm. and that a copy, uh, any copy brought to his room doesn't play in his Atari 2600. And I'm starting to suspect that the final key might just be finding the Easter egg at the end of adventure, just like in the movie. So I'm just putting that out there cause it's kind of, it just feels a little bit like that's what this is leading me to. Okay. Um, I have another pageless note that says, oh, you, you finish your pageless note. No, I'm done. I'm done. Okay. You don't have any more notes. So my note here for this, this chapter is, uh, uh, okay. So I didn't really know. I didn't realize this about myself before reading these chapters. And then I started to realize as we got to this point that I was actually a gunter in high school. Didn't know it. Okay. Um, so let me, let me take you back. Let me let me let me Doctor Strange this time stone back to 2002 2003 when I'm in high school and or or middle school or whatever. Wibble my wobbly. This is yeah. Oh, it's timey wimey up in this bitch. Um, the this was the era when DVDs were flooding the market. They reign supreme. Everybody could get DVDs about fucking shows you didn't even know you wanted to watch. Movies that had heretofore only been released on VHS or maybe never released. Mm -hmm. New movies coming out under this new format that you could just pop right in as a disc and just start playing. No more rewinding. Gone the days of rewinding. No longer must you be kind. Skip to your favorite scene in seconds. And one of the things that not everybody in the world knew about DVDs, but cool badass kids like me did, 
was that certain DVDs would have Easter eggs in them. And you could find these Easter eggs by gunting for them. And so I would gunt for these these uh, these Blu-rays and I, or these these Easter eggs. And let me explain. So an Easter egg in a DVD would be you would find uh, some sort of selectable option in a menu in on the disc menu that was invisible, otherwise undetectable unless you entered the right set of commands at the right point. And then and then it would become selectable and you could you could click it and something magical would happen. A extra extra feature that they that the developers of the disc hid in the mm-hmm. submenus would play for you and you'd be able to see something. And I loved this so much. That's awesome. I, I loved this this gunt so much that I went out and and started scouring uh you know the the prehistoric message boards and uh finding uh people who would post information about which discs and which printings had which easter eggs and how to find them and then because i this is before smartphones existed or anything else cool like that before youtube i would i oh i i opened up a word document and copy pasted all the info about where to find and how it would work off of my home my home printer and then cut them and put them in the 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 boxes of each dvd so that when you opened it you had a ready to go per disc guide to where the easter eggs in the dvds were that's amazing so i have brought for the show some (laughs) of my old dvds which include in them detailed descriptions of how to find the easter eggs all right so you have three i only i okay so in in the 20 years since this was a thing I've purged a lot of the DVDs so that I had for my collection that had all these things in them. Mm-hmm. But there's a few I've kept. Okay. Either because I've never upgraded to a higher quality version or in one specific instance, and this is essentially useless now because YouTube exists, but I loved the Easter egg so much that I didn't want to ever get rid of it. The movie I have, I have it in Blu-ray, but I, not the Easter egg. I have to have the Easter egg on DVD. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a player's choice. You can choose to hear about the... I'll, I'll do all of them, but you can chick, choose which options, which, which order, rather. Ben Affleck's Daredevil, hmm. the first X-Men movie, or the Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Uh, let's, do, let's do Daredevil first. Daredevil I went, first. I got really excited by that. Okay, so in the, in the two-disc Daredevil release, not the director's cut, just the got it. Daredevil movie, here is what my note says. It's like a little fortune cookie. It is like a fortune cookie. Insert the second disc of the set and from the main menu, go to the movie where the special features related to the film can be found. Here, select Hell's Kitchen and on the following menu screen, highlight the play menu entry and then press the left arrow key on your remote control. This will highlight the sigh in Electra's hand and give you access to a hilarious gag reel. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right, what do we, what do we want next? X Men or Pirates? Or, or Pirates. Pirates, Pirates next. This will be perfect because my favorite one that I'll never get rid of is on X Men, so we'll save it for last. I, I kind of wondered. Do you know what it is? I don't. Oh, okay. Th- this is the Pirates one. Look how big. Oh that my is. god, that is a novel in itself. Pirates of the Caribbean. 
insert the second disc of the set, and from the main menu, select the uh, entry Fly on the Set. In the next screen, highlight the Play All entry, and then press the right arrow key on your remote control. This will highlight one of the teeth of the monkey. And if you press enter, you will get to see a time-lapse clip of the construction of the pirate cave on the soundstage from beginning to end. That's pretty cool. Now go back to the main menu and select Below Deck, highlight Set Sail, and then press the left arrow key twice. This will highlight the skull on the medallion and give you access to an animatic of the climatic ship battle scene in the film. Back on the Beyond Deck menu, select Scene Index, and there, go to the second page of Chapter Stops, it says? I don't know what that means. I didn't write these. These are all copy-pasted. Highlight the entry Pirate Ships, and then press the left arrow key on your remote control. This will highlight the ring on the skeleton's hand and give you a chance to see the Japanese trailer for the movie. Now, it is time to go back to the disc's main menu and select the Moonlight Serenade scene. Highlight the main menu entry and then press the down arrow key on your remote control twice. This will highlight one of the incisors on the skeleton. Press enter now and you will see a very cool interview clip with Rolling Stones guitarist Keith Richards in which he discusses how Johnny Depp based elements of his character of Jack Sparrow on him. And indeed, you will make the connection. <laughs> so then we get to the we get to the, the big one. The first X-Men film. Ah. Okay, so there's two. First one. From the special features screen, select the art gallery and highlight main menu, and then press up. And Wolverine's dog tags will light up in the background. This is, if you click it, you will find conceptual art for the Beast and the Blob, characters who did not appear in the film. Interesting. Yeah, so you can see what X-Men 1 era conceptual art for those two characters look like if you do that and then my favorite one the one that okay. i i it's so silly but i can't get rid of this the silver tuna from the main menu select special features then select theatrical trailers then from trailer a press left on your remote to light up the flower and press select this will prove Spider-Man does truly interact with the X-Men world. So, if that if you don't know what this is... It stirred something vague, like I've read about, but... There was a moment on... There's a blooper, essentially. A moment on the set of the first X-Men film that's on, caught on camera. where They were doing a take. And some crew member dresses up like Spider-Man and drops into the shot... And they rolled on it, and they so they caught the first time ever on film <laughs> a, a an interaction in in Marvel Universe between the X Men and Spider Man. And as a comic book obsessed, superhero obsessed, nerdy 13, 14 year old, this blew my fucking mind. <laughs> back before there was an MCU, back like before Tony Stark, uh, back before uh, you know Robert Downey Jr. Uh, lost his heart in a cave. Hell, back um, before Tobey Maguire. Before Tobey Maguire played Spider-Man, there existed the concept, the promise, that just maybe, just maybe one day, Spider-Man and Wolverine would be in a movie together. And it it just... 
dug its tendrils into my tiny little heart and never let go. And I, I keep it to this day because of that. That's wonderful. Um, and so like, yeah, it was weird reading these things and the, like this book about this Easter egg hunting. And then I realized, oh shit, I did that in real life. Like in a weird and very silly way, I absolutely hunted those Easter eggs out and found a lot of them. And I'm sure I have more in my movie collection still, but these are the ones I could easily find. And they aren't the most impressive, I, I have to admit. Like, especially in the days of YouTube, like, there's just so much stuff you can find. Um, but, but they're the back, ones you love the most. Well, well, I think there's a mix of things. Like, the X-Men well, one I love the most. For the, for the <laughs> narrative that we're weaving here. Sorry. For, uh, the X-Men for that, for that kid important. 20 years from now listening obsessively to this podcast to find clues to the Easter eggs that you've hidden in your world-changing virtual reality game, they're the ones you love the most. Oh, I would definitely recreate you know to year 1999 era x-men god this movie you, you just how do you explain to someone how great I mean, this movie was when it came out i blew a pfd the entire thing uh that year on three sets of the oakley juliets really like i bought one for my brother and then one for myself because i wanted them and then they came out with the actual Cyclops colored, you know, that gunmetal one. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's, that's the whole point of that was that. So I'm going to spend the rest of my BFD on that, get it for my brother, and then sold the other pair to my roommate at like a discount. Uh, I still have them somewhere. They're all loose and janky now, but oh, man, man, I love the sunglasses. Too bad. Well, okay. So that's my egg hunting story. So let's move on to chapter 11. Okay, so the overview here is that the challenge through the first gate is to successfully reenact Matthew Broderick's performance in War Games, the movie that was the poster through which he jumped. Wade, again, in this weird sort of Mary Sue situation that may be the thing you end up talking about. Not uh, yet. Okay, Wade successfully completes this mission reciting the film verbatim uh, almost I mean, perfectly. He... He has he has some struggles. He he gets some warnings. He he has to earn a couple of uh, the game will you know say the line for you tokens. Right. He doesn't say perfectly. Right. Uh, it's pretty close though. <laughs> but but the the premise of the game is that you have to like reenact your uh, this movie and you get points for flourishes. You get points for saying the inflections perfectly. Uh, you get points for a lot of different things. And it's 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 an interesting concept of a video game that you I could see actually being developed into a game in the future. Oh sure. Like, like I thought that was kind of interesting as like a VR experiment to like mm-hmm. you like let's say your favorite movie is something like The Faculty and you like really 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 want to like recite all of Josh Hartnett's lines in that movie and you go and you trust do it me, more. man. I'm brilliant. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't holding a pen. <laughs> Or you weren't any, expecting that poll, were you? <laughs> or any film. Sure. Could be any film. Um, I'm very proud of myself. Uh, like like John Stewart, I didn't see it coming. Ooh. We've both seen that movie. <laughs> he ends up successfully completing it, and he, he is rewarded with com- passing through the gate and then learning the next location of the Jade Key, or, or he is given a clue about the location clue for of the, the Jade yes. Key. So after that, he 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 Wade basically disconnects from the from the Oasis, and then he passes out after having been awake for like twenty four hours playing the game straight, and falls asleep in his van and has a, a gnarly dream about 
being torn apart by every gunter and sixer in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and and my thought is, well, he he might just be torn apart by every <laughs> everyone. I have a couple side notes in here. Do you have any notes? My notes. Um, I had I had a couple of problems. It's it's only one is going to be calling out Ernest Klein's recall. Really, my problem was with this staged scene in War Games, where if the clock on Matthew Broderick Matthew Broderick's character's alarm is right, it's seven forty-five in the morning. Yeah, why was he school. at an arcade that early? I'm not concerned so much about that. It was more about the kids around him eating pizza. At that early in the morning. At that early in the morning. Um, they're, they're eating pizza. And in these scenes like this, none of the other kids are late for school. Howie, who comes in and takes over the game, is not late for school. Maybe Howie's in elementary school, fine. And his school doesn't start for another 30 minutes, fine. But there's other kids that are high school age, and they're just sitting around just like, hey, man, how's it going? I'm just enjoying my breakfast pizza. The fuck? But then I went and watched that scene because it's on YouTube. Just because I wanted to see it because it's short. It's not the first scene in the movie because the first scene in the movie actually has... I can't think of the actor's name right now, but he's from West Wing. He plays the bad guy in The Rock. Uh... Bradley Whitford. No, it's it, it. No, the chief of staff, Bradley Whitford's boss. I love him. He's a great character, um, but he's the guy at the beginning of the movie who who doesn't launch the nuke. Anyway, so this is Matthew Broderick's first scene, um, and I went back. I want. I watch it. Nobody's eating pizza. <gasps> That's a lie. What the what the one kid? They do show a kid go to the counter, and the woman says, "Fries and a coke. Here you go." Kind of thing. But still, fries and a coke. Seven forty-five a.m. Come on. What are we doing here, movie? And also Ernest Klein, pizza. Just because it says pizza outside doesn't mean kids are eating pizza. Fucking liar. You lied. Yeah. <laughs> That's my only note. <laughs> Prove that you didn't lie, liar. Even if you could, <laughs> guess what? You're probably lying, you fucking YouTube liar. says you're lying. Yeah. YouTube says you're lying, Ernie. Uh, That's my only note on this chapter. <laughs> All right, um, I have a handful of notes here. Let's do it. So all these Gunters commit themselves to Halliday's interests and learn everything there is to learn about him, but what happens to the Gunters? Like, what happens to their sense of self when their whole lives are wrapped up around wanting to be like or emulate a, a famous person, like a cult? What happens to them and their own, like, identities? I mean... Like, if your whole life is being obsessed with someone else's interest, where's there's room for your interest? It's a fair point, but also it could be argued that a lot of being a teenager is just that. So it just morphs into your own thing. Sure, but the Gunters aren't limited to being teenagers at this point. That's true, that's true. But I think they're... they're, they're Imagine uh, this. This is a big lottery. So, like, all these people are, are invested in this like they would be a lottery. They believe, like, as Wade does, is that if they commit themselves to learning as much as they can about what this guy cared about, then mm-hmm. r- riches beyond their wildest imaginings, except that they know exactly how much it would be, await right. them. And so then it becomes cult-like. That's what I'm saying. It becomes sure. this sort of, like, he becomes their their Christ figure. 
scary to think about. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm having a hard time not looking at this world through this perspective of yeah. being like, this is a whole, this is more dystopian than I think we're giving it credit for. Because when one person wins it all, their life is going to be meaningless. Exactly. Got it. They yeah, yeah, all yeah, yeah. lose the lottery instantly. Now yes. I'm betting that Klein has a funky workaround of that so that everyone can still be obsessed about the oasis and still yeah, completely ignore reality and just it's called slip ready back player in. two right and, and com- <laughs> com- completely slip into their like their comfortable detached lives mm-hmm. um but it still makes me sad for all of them like it just it just sur- sure looks like most of the people in this world that we're all supposed to be having a fun time reading about are hollow husks of people. Mm-hmm. That made me sad, but whatever. That's they're not real. Totally fair. <laughs> and there certainly aren't people really like that in this world at all. So that's good. I have, my other note is one of the games listed in Halliday's room was the ET game, the Atari 2600 ET game. Uh, that game specifically was featured predominantly in the documentary Atari game over where a crew of nerds, the, the film crew specifically, and a bunch of other nerds, dig up a landfill in search of long-dumped cash of, of that game. So the, the way that the legend goes about this game is that Atari was pushing out this game really fast to meet the premiere of the E.T. film. Um, and so they, they had a very short time period where they could program and make this game. So they had they gave one of their designers a time frame said, can you do it in like, it was something crazy. Like, I don't remember exactly what it was, but let's say it was like a weekend. Like, can you code and design a fun, challenging, aesthetically accurate game for this, this movie in time? And this guy busted his ass and did it. But the game is notoriously shit. Apparently it's very buggy. It's very like bad. It looks awful and makes no sense and has nothing to do with the film. And I don't know if this is irony. Cause I'm always fuzzy on that because I learned irony from Alanis Morissette, but it is basically E.T. himself trying to escape from landfills, is it not? I don't remember if that did it or not. Because there's pits, and you're trying to get E.T. out of the pit. Maybe. I think that's a pretty salient observation and worth uh, examination on another podcast. Okay, fair enough. Maybe in a whole movie about it. But, um... <laughs> the, no, that's uh, ridiculous. <laughs> so what they did is that this game was so hyped and so shit that uh, I think the legend goes that only a like a small portion of them were actually released and a large portion were completely dumped in a landfill like completely abandoned and just wiped off of the the face of the earth so there's this legend that exists about these games out there and these guys finally decided to make a documentary about searching them out they think they figured out where those games would be hidden in this landfill and they think they could go find out and dig it up so they do and that's the premise of the film one of the people whom they bring along on this trip to dig up these games is Ernest Klein, the oh. author of Ready Player One, who appears in the film and talks about the game, talks about himself and his nerdery, and then goes with them to the landfill to find these games, which, spoilers, they do. It's all true. The legends, all of it. And they uh, they they dig up these... God damn it. Take me a second. Everything you think you know, it's all true. All of it. They, and they, uh, they, they, they find it and they, and it's the, it's the big climax of the film. So 
uh, I just thought it was interesting to point out that that game is mentioned as being in, in Halliday's room and eventually would play into Ernest Klein's life in, a, in another way. My last question is that if you were designing a uh, re- recite the film game, what movie do you think you would choose because you could recite it perfectly? Or at least you could pick a single character and get all of their lines in it. Boy, I'm going to say the one I have the most fun reciting, the one I enjoy the vocal gymnastics of is Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I really like how uh, Hopkins frames a lot of his words in it, and it's they're fun to mimic. What about you? Um, well, I mean, it, I don't think I know movies that well in the same way, but like, it would probably be something like I, I mean, Jurassic Park would be a pretty good mm-hmm. attempt, but then I would also think about like, it wouldn't be as challenging because so many people could do it, but something like Rocky Horror Picture Show, where like so much of the movie is song, that like you could you could probably limp through the the not singing parts if you didn't know them as well. I mean, are, are you doing it for challenge or are you doing it for the fun of no, trying I'm, to get it? I'm trying to think of which movie I could actually do mm. right now. And so it's like it's like maybe the first Star Wars, maybe if I'm if I've already watched it recently, Jurassic Park maybe, Rocky Horror Picture Show maybe. I mean, because I, I wouldn't, I, Buffalo Bill's been done so many times, I wouldn't want to do that part. Right. But then you have other things like the fun, like the cop, like, it's Jim Pembridge, son, I talk to him. Well, you also have to kind of be the protagonist in the, in, in the way the game is oh, like for, for war games. Sure. You'd kind of have to be the Matthew Broderick of every film. So you'd have to be Clarice. Of course I would. Right. It matters. Let a man look to you to see. It matters. She won a Golden Globe tonight. Did she? Yeah. Jodie Foster? Yeah. For what? I don't know. It matters. <laughs> Fair enough. Courtesy. That's what it was. I couldn't remember for a second. You were doing fine. You'd been courteous and receptive to courtesy. When she was giving her acceptance speech, she got a little choked up and said, I'm sorry, it's some sort of seed pod. There's something in her throat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <sighs> Hmm. No, sir. That's a bug cocoon. Weird. Anyway, um, <laughs> you guessed on me. No, I, I, I'm, I'm trying. Uh, I mean, I, I knew it was a risky thing to ask you, but I don't really regret it. Well, anyway, that <laughs> should bring us. That should bring us to chapter twelve. Uh, I have an overview here. Um, why don't you, why don't you give us a. Uh... A summary. Yeah, the summary. As well. Uh, this, this chapter recaps the history of Ogden Morrow and James Halliday's friendship. Uh, it talks about all, how they met, what, the, the basics of their relationship, met in high school, played Dungeons & Dragons together, became fast friends, made their company, etc., etc. And a little bit of Wade starting to deal with his newfound fame. And then Wade has to finally have a conversation with H, um, and then... H lets him know that he's also already found the tomb and he figured it out and was deductive. Uh, and then they re- both realize that as soon as they both get the copper key, Irock's going to figure out that who he's going to blow up their spot and 
tell everybody who they are unless they tell him how to get to the copper key. He has to get a whole bunch of emails. Wade gets a whole bunch of emails that he has to, you know, dig through, including one from Artemis, where they're playfully flirty with each other some more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's basically this whole chapter. Yep. Um, I, I have a note on page 120. What's that? Uh, Ogden Morrow says that the Oasis has become a self-imposed prison of, of for humanity to hide from ne- uh, and neglect our crumbling civilization. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, yeah, 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 there we go. Some uh, some more pretty accurate futurism. Yep. Also, fuck you, Facebook. <laughs> um, my, my first note is also on Ogden Morrow's uh, interview with a reporter. Oh, uh, great, great. His snark at the reporter's. Uh, vultures in the media comments. I, I just, it felt not quite as clever as it thinks it is. I agree. I, I like the idea of it, but it was also just too banal, maybe? Maybe, but you gotta, I always I, how I looked at it. I think it's a pretty, like, hack criticism of the media yes. to call them vultures. But I think that there's this new ugliness coming out where like certain large media conglomerates are buying up a whole lot of like stations across the country and creating these large networks of locally like local stations that are now owned nationally mm-hmm. and and sometimes what that what comes with that is this whole uh mandating content across the country in all your stations which means mandated like political narratives and things like that. And that's, you know, arguably, I don't, I don't know what words I'm allowed to use. Um, I think you're, I think you're right. I think even the criticism is fair. I just, I guess I wanted it handled a little more cleverly. It's a pretty rushed thing. Yeah. It's, yes, the way that's he what handles it is. it is rushed. He just, he just, he just turns on her and goes, man, you're a vulture. Uh, him. You're going to make me, or whatever, you make me stop talking before your corporate overlords tell you not to? And it's like, okay, Ogden, calm down. Yeah, yes, I think that was... You're literally was, shooting the messenger, buddy. It it, it, it it just smacked of the author reveling in his own cleverness. Speaking as someone who does this. Right. This is not a pet criticism. I, I'm self-reflection here. Yeah. Uh, my next note is on Kira, Ogden's wife. Yep. I forget what her real name is, but uh, Kira from England. Uh, she, is she, like, she, isn't that Kira, Kieran or something like that? Kira. She made everyone call her Kira after the Dark Crystal. And I said, boy, anybody who's seen the Dark Crystal gets that reference. Right? Dark Crystal fan, buddy. Who can join me in my love for the Dark Crystal because you've seen it, right? You know damn well I haven't seen it. I'm calling you out. Jim Henson wrote it with his daughter. He directed it with his bare hands. Well, they weren't bare because they were puppets, but you understand what I mean. He's no Brian Henson. No, he's not. Yeah. Call me when you directed Muppet Christmas Carol, Jim. Call me when that happens, dude. Jesus Christ, that you can't, you can't say that. That's so, I, it's so mean. Jesus, oh, I, oh you fucking heartless monster. Oh well, sorry. It's just a it's reality. 
Everything's spinning. <laughs> Look, I like you. I'm going to pretend it didn't happen, okay? <laughs> okay. See. We'll, we'll cut it out. That's Don't it. Worry. We'll cut it out. You'll get visited by three spirits tonight. They'll show you what life would have been like if I hadn't said it. You get visited by three spirits called my fists. You have three fists? <laughs> you will learn. You could just tell me. And that's how I, I could learn that way. That's usually how learning works. It's like someone, you learn something. Practical right. lesson. <laughs> You're going to give me practically a lesson or a practical lesson? Because right now I think it's more of the former. It's going to be three hits. My fist's hitting you. <laughs> you hitting the floor and then you hitting me back or hitting the books or hitting the bricks. <laughs> okay. Got any more notes in that chapter? Let's see. I've got a note here. I wrote it in the heat of the moment. Uh, ugh. Geek girls written by guys trope. <laughs> Somebody call Joss Whedon. Uh, I don't think anybody wants to do that. I I wrote down EXE like I had uh, an excerpt that cited it, but then deleted that when I transferred all of my digital notes to the paper. So that's gone. Trust me, it was really great. Oh, yeah. Oh, Kira's death, I had a note on. Uh, I've read this a couple times, yet I always remember it as a as a tropey battle with cancer. But no, it was a car car crash. So I just thought that was interesting that I remember I think it I wrong. expected it to be cancer, too. Yeah? Was For it some in the reason, movie, maybe? I don't remember. And I, I don't want to... I, I really want to watch the movie again, but I also don't because we're still reading. Sure, sure, sure. And then Artemis... Or wait, I actually don't remember at the moment. Ended their letter with uh, MTFBWYA. You get it? Oh, 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 yeah, I totally got it. Oh, I got oh. it. Okay, okay. May the force be with you always. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't feel like I needed to explain it and underline it, but sure, go ahead. Well, I, I have to because you've challenged me on whether or not I know it. So if I just say, "Of course I know it," you can go, "Uh, sure." If he knew it, he would have said what it was. I wouldn't I have done I, that. That's 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 ham-fisted. I would have just said, "Cool, man. Cool." No. No, you would have thought it. You would have suspected. You'd be saying, "He's bullshitting me." Do you have any other notes? Oh, yeah. Um, but not in this chapter. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, that brings us to... Chapter 13. Uh, how about the summary? Yeah, how about uh, it? Wade takes a few days to process his newfound fame uh, and clear out his inbox, all from the comfort of his van. In the meantime, two new Gunters have ranked on the scoreboard, one named Daito and the other Shoto. Mm. Uh, Wade receives an email from Nolan Sorrento, the leader of the Sixers, proposing a video conference call where Wade expects to be propositions and he decides to take the call. It's more of a meeting than a call because it's like virtual reality. We're not there yet. We're not. That's the next chapter. And then I have a page note. Did I miss anything in the summary? Because it's kind of, it's all kind of like fast. Like, sure. (laughs) I might page note page uh, 132 in the, in the print book. Uh, Anytime a character says they don't have time to, for a lawyer to read contracts for me. So I sign them all anyway. Anytime you read that, it makes me think, well, that's never going to come up again. That surely will never come up again. Are you being sarcastic? Yeah, I'm being sarcastic because obviously it's going to come up again. I think it doesn't come up again. That would be stupid. Why? Why do that? Why? why I think that's why he's got that line in there of they all expired within a year. So I just signed them all anyway. 
Oh, I don't remember that last part. Yeah. Um, yeah. Still, whatever. The way contracts work now, there's these fucking fine print things like, oh, also we're going to track your movements and we need your blood type and we have a legal right to clone you and shit. Also, you you just got 20,000 credits which are more stable than the dollar, so they're applicable in the real world, basically. And we have legal Zoom now. You could have got somebody to process these and be like, just what's the bullet points? Right. Yeah, I don't know. That's my notes for that chapter, though. Okay. In this chapter, though, we also get the next clue. Oh, yeah, what's the next clue? The captain conceals the jade key in a dwelling long neglected, but you can only blow the whistle when all the trophies are collected. Yeah, I gotta say, I have no idea what any of this not, is. Not any of those? I was trying to think about who the captains were, and I was thinking about Captain Kirk hmm. or, or Captain Picard, because he didn't mention any of those in the in the thing he was in, in the list of captains he was he thought initially. I will definitely say you're on the right track that the, the the captains he listed are not the captain in question. Right. Could be Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch. Could be Captain Antoniel. Could be Captain Antoniel, yep. Could be uh, Robin Williams from Dead Poet Society. Sure, sure, sure. Took me a second. But uh, so this so is a captain something something dwelling long neglected. Mm-hmm. I'm not great with riddles. Uh, I famously hate the way that spider sounded oh. between the two of us. Well, but you had so many other problems. That, that <laughs> w- Was J.K. Rowling's riddle because you hated riddles or because you hated how she writes? Both. Okay. I'll even put it this way. I don't, ever, I don't think I've ever had the satisfaction of feeling like I figured out how to suss riddles. Gotcha. So, like, this one is even more complicated because it's like, okay, in a dwelling long forgotten. Neglected. Neglected, excuse me. What billion pop culture references could that be? But because of that, I mean, I feel like that takes some of the onus off. Like, I have no, there's no way I'm just going to read the story. Oh, sure. But, like, if we're going to use it as a as a point in our show sure, to, like, sure. sit on, like, that's the problem is I have no idea what that is. I mean, I, I would, if I, if I could conceive of a dwelling in pop culture long neglected, mm-hmm. what would I even select? I think you probably wouldn't get this one. Probably not. Um... But and then what's the other stuff that uh, you, you can only blow the whistle when all the trophies are collected. So I guess my first question is, am I supposed to believe that all of these references reference the same thing? No. OK, exactly. No. So like so now there's whistles involved and then there's you, also trophies that need to be collected. Do you know blow the whistle? No. OK. And then trophies collected. No. I mean, video, in, sometimes in video games, you collect trophies when you achieve when you like complete tasks Okay. But like other than that, like like when I think about like you get trophies in Mario Kart. If you win Mario Kart, you get trophies, things like mm-hmm. that. So I've got to imagine other games use trophies as the reward system. Mm-hmm. But no, and blow the whistle. Like I mean, I I think of like a train. I mean, if this is about Back to the Future 3, I would be very like surprised. I'm trying to think of train things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Cuz <laughs> the time wasn't the time machine a train in that movie? There was a train that became a time machine at the very right. end. Right. I'm trying to think of shit Ernest Klein loves that he hasn't over- beat us over the head with. Sure. Back, Back to the Future is one of those things. So I'm expect- expecting it to happen at some point. But And trains have whistles. Sure. You know, like like that song, uh, that Dinah song. Dinah, won't you blow? Dinah does blow, you're right. I, yeah. I was thinking strumming on the old banjo, but you're right, Dinah does blow. 
Right. Dinah, won't you blow my horn? Um, I thought that was about a train. Boy, Dinah and Gabriel ought to hang out, am I right? Are you about to use that pen as a Groucho Marx cigar? <laughs> it sure looked like you were grabbing that pen to go, ah, Dinah and, and uh, Gabriel, they should really get together. Say the sacred word, win $1,000. <laughs> no, I was not. Anyway, so yeah, I don't know what this could be like at all. Like again, like uh, there's so many, there's so many dwellings. Like just in something like the Lord of the Rings series, there's so many long neglected dwellings True. that you could you could look f- through. Just in that series, without giving too much away, I think dwelling long neglected might be no, because I don't even remember. So, I, I don't know this. Oh, you don't remember it? Uh, no, I remember exactly what it is. I just, I'm saying I don't. Th- this was not something I was ever. Oh, okay. Uh, it wasn't your. Into, it was, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't your uh, preferred nerdery. Sure. Preferredery. Right. All right. Well, like I said, I, it's probably not mine then either. Like, I just, I have to, I have to throw my hands up and say, I don't know. All right. Got anything else in this chapter? All right. Then that brings us to. Chapter 14, the chapter I've been waiting for. Oh, yeah? Well, there's a very specific reference in this that well, maybe it got right out the gate, maybe it didn't, well, but well, I've been excited there, to talk about it for some time. Then you're going to have to finish my goddamn... Patient. I will, but I'm. Patient. this is called a tease? Well, you don't need to tease before we... You don't need the tease if you um, do the overview. I'm going to tease. Summary. I'm going to tease. Why don't you oh. summarize this chapter? Uh, I don't remember a lot of it. You're <laughs> so you've good. Been waiting. You've been you're waiting so to get to this one? so good at it. You're the best. I like I like to hear you summarize it. So so manly. Uh this is the chapter where Wade takes his virtual call with Nolan Sorrento. They fly to the Sixer planet that is has a huge army and tanks and digital all this other bullshit that's like He gives them the Suxor sales pitch. Yeah, it's this huge like it's like it's like you're looking at the the star the, the Star Wars Empire's like uh, battlements, like mm-hmm. and, and just taking in how massively intimidating they are, and how you would never be able to defeat them if you were going to fight them. This is Imperial March, the chapter, right? Um, and he, uh, they pitch Wade all, all this stuff. They show him. They give him the real like hot shit pitch, and they show him all the stuff he could have. And they tell him that we're going to pay you so much money if you tell us how to get the key. And then we're going to pay, we're going to bring you on staff and move you to Columbus and give you all the coolest tech. And you're going to help us hunt down the rest of the clues, etc., etc. And then Wade is such a fucking punker that he's like, no way, bro. There's no way I'm going to do that. But he like leads them on and like really embarrasses them. Uh, and a very long story short, because it, it just it just keeps going on and on and on. It does a bit. With with Nolan offering new things and making counter offers and and Wade being snotty and shitty, and eventually it comes down to Wade saying, "All right, new plan. Uh, I'll accept your deal on two conditions. Number one, uh, you pay me X amount or whatever, whatever, whatever. Also, I want your job." And he says, "I don't want just your job. I want you to be fired. I want. I know your. I know your overlords are listening." So you, Nolan, I, I want your job and I want you to be fired. I want to run this whole shit. And then 
uh, Nolan Sorrento like stares at him sort of blankly and, and explains that yes, his overlords are listening and that they've agreed to those terms. And then Wade says something flippant, like, no, I changed my mind. Fuck you guys. Bleh, I'm going to win. Fuck you. You're never going to win. And then Nolan Sorrento laughs at him and says, oh, you foolish little bitch. <laughs> and then he says, oh, you should have taken it, you dummy. You dummy, because here's your next deal. I kill you. <laughs> and then they show this like thing where Nolan and, and the Sixers have found out where wade lives they They know who he is they know who he is they they know he lives in the stacks they know which stack he lives in they show some thermal imaging of like uh drones outside or like other people with like ready to 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 strike and blow up his house and they say we've rigged your your stacks with c4 we're gonna blow them up and no one's gonna think anything about it it's just be another bunch of dead poor people and no one's gonna care we could kill you right now so you have one chance join us or die and Wade decides to call his bluff. Well, Wade, they don't know Wade secretly in his hideout. Right. Because he went out the back. They don't... He thinks that if he agrees with them, since they've threatened him, they have no reason to not just kill him anyway. Right. That That's, that's his out for him not being a total shit. Right. So the reader can still be kind of on board. Because he's like, no, I'm dead either way, so I'm just going to say no. Because right. they're not going to kill all those people. They kill all the people. Oh, they kill all the people. Um, they they absolutely do blow up the stacks, and they kill all the people. Um, and then Wade like wanders over there and to figure out what's going on. And to jump ahead a little bit, I do like the scene where the explosion's going on, and they talk about how long it goes on. Yeah. And really, just make him have to like, sit there and listen to the stacks collapsing and people screaming, and it's just like, oh my god, this is traumatic. Yeah. It's. It certainly feels kind of shocking, but you had a note you really wanted to talk about. Nolan Sorrento sucks or number. Okay. Did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get it? I don't think I got it. His number was six, five, five, three, two, one. Uh, I got it the first time I read it. I was super stoked. Nobody's ever cared that I've brought it up to. This might be the same, but I don't care because I was excited because I got it. Hold on. I'm going to write it down. Okay. In my Hello Kitty notepad. It's it's not a code. It is a it is a reference. I'll give you that. Oh, so it's not like I could read it upside down and it would spell Right, boobs. yeah, it's not boobs. Okay. All right, well, what is it? I'll give you another hint. 655321. 655321. I can't do it. Can't hit that nasal note. It's British. Wait, what's the first number again? Six. Because they're all six, remember? Sucksers, Sixers. Six, double five, three, two, one. Is that the cell block Princess Leia's in? Nope. Oh, that's, shit. That's, uh, 1138. Cell block 1138, yeah. Yeah. THX. No, I have no idea. A six, double five, three, two, one is the prisoner number of Alexander DeLarge, the main character from A Clockwork, A Clockwork Orange. Orange. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I got one. Wow. Not that you didn't, but just I was very excited because I was like, oh, I, I know what you're I doing, mean... Ernest Klein. I know what you're doing. Very well, little brother. And to answer your unasked, yes, yet unasked question, yes, I've, since talking about it, changed the passcode on my phone. To this? No, from this. <laughs> from this. Yes. 
Is I it needed to six the, digits. Is it, is it to the other code you gave me? What other code did I give you? Oh, no, that's seven digits. You're, yeah, you're, you're of course, talking about 2134765. Yeah. That's more of a formula. 2134765. A formula, not a code. <laughs> no. Um, my other note, or one of my other notes, um, I did kind of enjoy, I, I, I know this was an, an obnoxious chapter and it painted Wade in an obnoxious light. But I, I enjoyed that that felt at least a little bit on purpose. That he thinks he's, as you called it, being punk rock. And it's pretty obvious he's out of his depth, but he doesn't realize that. That's yeah. that's presented in such, presented kind of well. Because they're just like, shut the, God, you're a fucking obnoxious kid. And he's just like, Ugh. Right. So it, 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 I guess it, I'm not saying it was great, but it made that bitter pill a little sweeter. Yeah. I mean... He's definitely got to eat crow eventually. True. Um, and I, I hope I hope more than this makes him eat crow because mm-hmm. like, because that's the problem with this character is like he, in order for him to become humble, he has to lose. But in order for him to lose, that means the really bad guys have to win. Right. Which you also don't want. Right. So his it's it's like it's like a nerd conundrum. Like you you don't you don't actually approve of this antisocial poor behavior, this childish behavior, but in order for that character to be punished, worse things have to happen. Right. So it's, it's this catch 22 that really sucks. Um, in terms of like rooting for a character that you don't want to be a Mary Sue, but you also don't want to be a whiny shit. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's tough. Uh, this is a thought that has occurred to me before and it came up again and I don't know if it's on purpose or if I'm just reading too much into it because this book kind of puts you in that mindset of looking for clues all the time. Uh, but IOI, the, 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 the name of the bad guys conglomerate company, uh, is similar to 101, mm-hmm. which in binary is five. But it is the sixth digit, if you count zero as zero, as it's the first one. So, IOI six, sixers, hmm? Yeah, why did they call them the sixers again? Because uh, all their num- their serial number starts with six, and they're six oh, digits right. long, like six, double, five, three, two, one. Yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, and then since we're on this, uh, Sorrento, when he drops that he knows wade's name he knows his name is wade owen watts and i'm like oh his fucking initials are wow wow god damn it wow wow do you have any notes no okay i I thought this chapter was kind of like uh dull I, i i think that my only my only note here is like i don't think i like it when bad guys are introduced and then they're clearly bad guys. <laughs> like, I don't like Nolan Sorrento showing up and then being like, Oh, Oh, you don't want to do what I want you to do. I'm going to kill you. And I don't mean that as an empty threat. I mean, watch, <laughs> um, <laughs> like it feels kind of like in one sense, it's like, Oh cool. We just jump right into the action. And the other sense, it's like, so no nuance. 
just like but it's gonna be so satisfying later when wade's like haha i'm still alive that's that's what we call that whiny taunt um satisfying let's call that satisfaction call it satisfaction um the uh yeah i don't i don't know about that man like it just it just feels like it's a bit I, I, like I said, in one sense, I like how he, like Ernest Klein's not messing around with t- showing you how bad this guy is. I like that, but I feel like this is all happening in his first appearance, his first yes. chapter, his first interaction with the main character is ah, I tried to kill you right away, and it feels it feels mustache twirly. It feels uh, I don't, I don't want to say lazy, but it does feel unconstructed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, and I, I feel like like just saying it aloud this time how how I liked how long the stacks collapse took and Wade was reacting to it. Uh, I feel like that would really leave some lasting trauma, and I don't know if that's ever revisited. It really should. I mean, you could like even could, even if he didn't like his aunt, right? That's fucked up to have he, to he listen did to like that, that and know lady. that I'm basically the linchpin. If if not the if not if if I if, I, if I'm Woke enough to realize it's not my fault. I'm still the linchpin, and I got to feel some kind of responsibility or trauma from that. Well, but he also yeah. liked that old lady who who helped him out or like gave him money. Fed or him and shit. Did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's dead. All the children. He talks about children being in the stacks. They're all dead. It sounds like the way it worked was it did the whole like collapse and then domino effect into other stacks, which means a lot more people are dead. A lot of like, like conservative three hundred people. Right. Probably in the stack then, alone, considering he, how many families are in each trailer. And he doesn't show any sort of empathy about that immediately. He's more just like, he kind of thinks about it, but then he's like, oh no, what am I doing? I'm out in the open. I'm such a dummy. They're going to know I'm not actually dead. I bet I skedaddle. Uh, my only, my, my last note is just kind of that thing you were doing where things diverge from actual history in that. Yeah. The uh, what what the Sixers had was um, an aerial view, that thermal aerial view from a plane or a satellite, but they don't mention drones. They so don't mention just, drones. Yeah, it's interesting to me. In the movie, there's lots of drones. Oh, sure. Which I think makes a lot more sense and is really very nice to see. Yeah. Well, I ain't got no more notes. No more notes. I don't have I don't have any new words. I got nothing. I've, I've got no new words. All right, what are we well, reading to next time? Next time we're going to read through chapter 15 through, and I, I bumped it up a little bit, we're going to read through chapter 22. Because oh I finished reading this like last section early, and I was like, I wonder what happens if we read a little bit more next time. So 15 through 22, do not read 23. Okay. I'm excited to keep reading. I was, I did enjoy enough to, get, to want to read more than this. I'm excited to see what the next like gate is what the next key opens all that stuff i'm very excited um but uh i'm also kind of a little worried there's going to be some more uh, like potential lulls there's definitely going to be some uh nerdy wish fulfillment that we're going to have to get through yay which which can be good but also can be not probably some more see what you think probably some more sappy reveals about people's love lives from years ago who can say? I could. But anyway, oh. we're going to we're gonna wrap it up. Um, all right. Uh, well, tune in next week where we talk about these other parts of the show and book. All right. <laughs> that was oh. Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. 
Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. When I was in... When I was when I was a teenager, I so, I so thought. I'm sorry. I don't mean to derail you. I do. Um, I so tangent time. Say, I so thought you were going to say when I was in Nam. <laughs> when I was in the shit. <laughs> and your brothers are dying in the mud next to you, and the hot rains pouring down into your eyes, and you don't know whose blood and whose piss and whose shit is in your mouth. What? And you know that the only thing that'll get you home to Sally and her sweet cherry ass is cutting out Charlie's tongue and hanging it from a flagpole. But by the time you're raising the mast, you can't even remember why you started in the first place. Or if Sally even remembers you. Till you get on that Huey and you're riding back into the hot Pacific sunset and you think was it all worth it you don't know all you know is the man that left for war died and a new man's coming back full metal jacket platoon apocalypse now I also pronounce those all bad island of dr. Moreau island of dr. Malo Dr. Malone, how about Dr. Chardonnay? Am I right? How about Dr. Cooking Sherry? <laughs> I don't think I can stop that. Yeah, when you talk, it's like unformed balls of clay fall in front of like some sort of Cro-Magnon's like, like, like a Cro-Magnon ghost sequence happens where where Two large forehead, <laughs> foreheaded brutes caress each other and then mold your words into somewhat passable language. Oh, my love, my darling. Hunger for touch. <laughs> Try not to do the entire Unchained Melody. Uh. Um. Long lonely time. <laughs> I gotta watch that movie again. I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. And uh, I yelled really loudly because I was super excited and I got shushed. (gasps) By whom? My dad. Oh. Why for? Because I yelled really loudly. Oh. Oh. So that just sort of continued through the rest of your life. (laughs) I've, I've always been shushed. But you know what? I persevere. I stand up and say, nah. Yet uh-uh. I persisted. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless. <laughs> if I pass out <laughs> from laughing so hard and how clever I am. How clever you, you are. My wife how clever you me. are. That was, I said the thing. Oh God! When I said that, when I when I really dug that one at myself. Oh goodness! So, oh. 
Oh, I do, I do stitch myself up. Also, I challenge you to name any other episode we've ever done. Um, that's not the first time. That won't be the first time. <laughs> it was not only last episode, you also got it wrong. Uh, Harry's a dick. Harry is a dick is the episode one. That's correct. Yeah. Harry's a dick. Violin stick? Yeah. What? The bow. The, the bow. bow. The, yeah, I was going to say, bow. what do you think, you know, you, 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 when you, what, you rosin? Yeah. Yeah. Rosin uh, up the violin stick. Ro- oh, oh, mother. I, I would practice, but I need to rosin my violin stick. It has grown so tattered and frayed from all my Jeffrey? sticking. Jeffrey, are you rosining your violin stick again? You're yeah. going deaf. Yes. You're going deaf, young man. I'm almost finished. Oh, gross. Um, <laughs> Got to get all the notes out. He's a... Uh, he's... <laughs> Jeffrey, are you pla- practicing Allegro again? <laughs> I'm just working on my arpeggio, mother. So since all that's going to be at the end of the episode, let me uh, let me get this going again. I will try to not. No, no. What, what, what I said was what I said was let me get this going again. What I meant is please let me get this going again. <laughs> I'm begging you to let me get this going again. We have one job here. It's just just to do the show, and and you know it shouldn't be that hard. It's literally just just bullshitting for a couple hours. That's it. I didn't think it was that much. <laughs> what, how much mate? Yeah, you never do. You have a problem. <laughs> problem. I can quit whenever I want. You never I want to quit. Want. Yeah, I know what the problem is. <laughs> this is fucking worst show ever. We gotta stop doing this. <laughs> Which is that I denied it somehow. So anyway, beyond that. Don't worry, I'm going to clean this up so good. Ugh, you better bibbity-bobbity-boop the fuck out of this. <laughs> <laughs>